This episode of Upstream in Perspective is brought to you by IHS Markets Upstream Insight. Our team of industry experts analyze the interplay of geopolitical structures, government priorities, corporate strategies, and global markets and technologies to deliver forward-looking solutions that lead to more informed and efficient decisions. These solutions are available via recurring reports, interactive analytics, robust data sets, and bespoke engagements with experts. Learn more about our offerings at www.ihsmarket.com energy. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm your host for Upstream and Perspective, Jessica Nelson. On the podcast today, I'm joined by Hill Vaden from our product management team. And Hill's a bit of an energy nerd himself, so he'll be co-hosting with me today. And, and Hill, I think that's okay. You're in good company <laughs> on our <laughs> podcast. Um, and our guest today is Chris DeLucia. Um, our, our listeners may remember that Chris came on the podcast a few months ago to discuss what the low-carbon transition means for oil and gas. Chris is back with some new research today around the value proposition of investing in the low-carbon segment. And that is answering the question, can low-carbon be profitable? Chris, I'm excited to hear the answer to that question, and welcome back. Great. Well, thanks so much, Jessica. It's, it's great to be with you today. So when we spoke last October, uh, it was following your report at that time that investigated the low-carbon strategies of several integrated oil and gas operators. What has changed since that discussion in terms of how oil and gas companies are approaching the low-carbon space? Sure, yeah. So th there's definitely been uh, continued progress in the space. So, uh, you know, I, I think one of the biggest things that we're seeing is that um, there's been um, continued growth in investment within um, the low carbon sector among uh, oil and gas companies. So um, based on our uh, data that we've tracked, uh, we saw nearly four billion in uh, acquisitions in the low carbon space from oil and gas companies in 2018. Um, that compares with about $1 billion annually in each of 2016 and 2017. So a pretty big uh, uptick there in terms of uh, M&A activity. And, and that, that included a few big acquisitions in the space. So we had uh, Total's acquisition of Direct Energy for $1.7 billion. Uh, we had Repsol's acquisition of Viesgo for uh, a little under $900 million. Uh, and then we had Equinor's acquisition of uh, Danska commodities for about 470 million. So um, quite a bit of a pickup there in terms of uh, M&A activity uh, among oil and gas companies. Um, but even outside of M&A, we, we've seen continued investment in the space. So if we look at our global integrated group of companies, so for us, that includes the, the super majors plus ENI, Equinor, and Repsol. Uh, if we look at our estimates for uh, spending in the low carbon space for those companies over the next few years, uh, we're seeing about $7 billion in aggregate among that group of companies, uh, again, uh, uh, for investments in, in low carbon uh, annually uh, through the, the near term. Uh, Is low carbon outside of oil and gas, traditional oil and gas businesses? So so it's, uh, so that's a good question. So it's, um, it's uh, any low carbon businesses in addition to any modifications or investment in terms of emissions reduction within the upstream space. So if they're looking at uh, improving efficiency within their upstream oil and gas operations, uh, we'll include that in that um, in that bucket as well. And, and, and also things like uh, carbon capture. Carbon capture. Okay. So if we if we group all those investments together, uh, we're looking at about $7 billion annually. And for those uh, companies in total, that equates to about 5% of their uh, corporate capex. So, um, you know, still still relatively small in the grand scheme of things as, as far as uh, overall corporate spending, but that's, you know, becoming increasing, increasingly material. And it is a, a bit of a pickup from what we've seen uh, over the past couple of years when spending may have been closer to 3 to 4%. So, um, you know, just uh, increasing growth in that, that space there. Um, 
not only is the absolute level of spending increasing, um, but we're also seeing an increasing array of companies that are getting involved in the sector. So we've tended to focus our analysis on the global integrateds, you know, really the majors, just because those are the companies that have been making the bulk of uh, these investments in the space. But we're starting to see a bit more activity from uh, some other peer groups. So um, in particular, uh, we've seen a pickup in activity among the NOCs. So you know, not quite to the same extent that we've seen from the majors, but we have started to see a bit more activity um, from some of the big NOCs in the space. So a couple examples there, we had uh, Petronas' acquisition of um, Amplus, a solar developer that happened earlier this year. Uh, and we've also seen Cenook uh, re-enter the offshore wind market after they exited that space a few years ago. So uh, a bit more activity from the NOCs and also from some of the, the US independence and uh, international EMPs. So again, not quite to the same extent as um, some of the bigger companies, but we have seen a pickup in, in movement there. So a couple examples, uh, ConocoPhillips and Santos um, announced that they are um, starting a uh, battery project at their Darwin LNG facility. Uh, and then we've also seen investments in uh, carbon capture, utilization, and storage uh, by companies like Occidental and BHP. So uh, again, just a, a broadening array of companies that are getting involved in, in the sector. And then just the last thing I, I'd note about what we're seeing is that um, we're starting to see more diversity as far as the sectors into which these, these investments are being made. So uh, certainly there's been... Um, you know, a traditional emphasis on things like uh, solar, wind, and and biofuels, as well as uh, areas like uh, carbon capture, uh, CCUS, uh, in addition to um, upgrades on uh, existing oil and gas operations. But we're also starting to see some movement into some some new areas, some new uh, low carbon segments, things like um, low carbon powered distribution, um, batteries and storage, and electric vehicles as well. So just a broadening array of sectors uh, where we're seeing investments being made by these companies. I think that's good. You're, you're triggering my memory because I think last time we talked a lot about how we were seeing uh, activity in Europe, but maybe not from a lot of companies operating in the U.S. So good to hear that um, there's some changes there. Um, speaking of, though, we can't help but notice another change being the aggressive commitments to the Permian Basin by U.S. super majors Chevron and Exxon. Um, and, and somewhat related, we've all heard a lot about the uh, probably the largest energy transaction of the year, Oxy's proposed takeover of Anadarko. Um, and Anadarko's undrilled Permian inventory being the main driver of that deal. So um, let me ask you a big question here that I think a lot of people have. How do, how do you balance the upstream sector's long-term interest in low carbon um, and the near-term interest in oil? Sure. Yeah. So it's it's a fair question, and I, I think the key here is to recognize that you know these companies are still looking to focus on their core area of expertise, and and for uh, the companies that we're looking at, that that remains um, largely oil and gas, and even for the diversified companies, you know we, we see a particular focus uh, within the upstream. So for the the global integrateds, you know we're looking at the upstream sector accounting for about eighty to ninety percent of corporate capex. Um, so you know we're really seeing companies trying to you know maintain that focus on their core area of operations um, while you know looking to diversify into these other sectors but you know I think the other thing to think about here is just that you know while we are seeing growth in in the low carbon segment we're seeing uh, growth in in demands for increased um, investment in the space you know we still do see continued growth within the the oil market so if we look at IHS markets base case scenario uh, we're looking at oil demand growth um, to continue uh, into the late 2030s. And, and that's consistent with 
you know, the view, the internal view of a lot of the the oil companies that we're looking at, where you know there's still the expectation for that uh, continued growth in oil demand. So uh, companies are looking to you know maintain that position, maintain that exposure to that 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 core area of expertise, and uh, and and maintain that portfolio that's exposed to continued growth in the oil sector. And are you uh, seeing? So, sorry, the, I mean, no, we were looking at some of these the, the, these big, uh, you know, the, some of these low carbon investment. I mean, relative to, to some of these bigger deals, like, like you, you think about the Oxy Anadarko deal or even the, the, the BP Shell deal from, or I'm sorry, what was it the, B, the BG Shell deal from, you know, several years ago? I mean, are we talking dimes versus dollars when, when we're comparing the, the, the low carbon uh, entry into some utility space to, to some of the you know, traditional oil field mergers? Sure. I mean, it, it's definitely not quite to the same extent. So if you look at some of the, you know, the, the biggest acquisitions that we've seen in the, the low carbon space, you know, they, they are uh, significantly lower than, than some of the investments that, that we're seeing within uh, oil and gas. So, you know, we're talking about kind of, you know, low to mid single digits in billions as far as some of the acquisitions. You think about Total's acquisition of an interest in, um, in SunPower back in 2011, I think that was right, uh, right around 1.6 billion dollars. Uh, their acquisition of Direct Energy uh, last year was 1.7 billion dollars. Um, you know, Repsol bought Viesco, uh, that was about 900 million. So you know, we're looking at um, you know significantly smaller deal size when it uh, relative to the the oil and gas acquisitions that that we've seen. Um, but uh, you know that said, that the number of these these transactions has been increasing as well. So even if the absolute number is smaller, you know that that the sheer number uh, means that in aggregate these these are becoming increasingly material, but you know still uh, orders of magnitude smaller than what we've seen in the the oil and gas space. So it is definitely a, a different uh, a different story there. So you know I think that gets back to the the initial point here, where you know look these these companies are are still looking to maintain that that core exposure, but they're also trying to you know transition and be positioned for that that um, uh, that changing energy landscape and and especially given the, the the general uncertainty about the pace and the timing of this transition you know I think we're sort of seeing a, a gradual shift but uh, one that's becoming increasingly material as they they look to uh, be positioned for for that change uh, as it as it starts to accelerate and is this all coming from these these kind of venture, uh, venture groups within the corporate portfolio. I think I saw something the other day uh, about BP investing $30 million in fish food or, or some sort of a application of natural gas to, to create fish food as part of some, not new ventures in the traditional oil and gas sense, but but some sort of uh, corporate ventures uh, entity within these organizations. Is it all coming out of that budget? No, that's a great question because we have started to see a, a, a um, you know a continuation of that that venture capital based investment. Uh, it really depends a lot on the company itself and and how the you know how the the, the low carbon uh, parts of the business have been incorporated in the broader corporate structure. So for a lot of these companies, um, the, the the core mechanism through which they're making investments is in that VC realm. Um, but for other companies, especially some of the bigger ones, we're seeing those being made as direct investments or you know just outright acquisitions at the corporate level where these companies are looking to, as opposed to making an indirect investment, they're looking to actually acquire the business or acquire a stake of a business and actually incorporate that into their, their broader corporate structure. So I'd say that that direct investment is where we've seen most of the activity, but we, we've certainly seen a pickup in terms of the, uh, the VC activity as well. I mean, I'm assuming this is a pretty big 
these guys are big movers within this space, right? That, that if, if we think about kind of history, right, that, that oils, big oils like track record in the past with non-oil and gas ventures hasn't been great. You know, I'm thinking of Beyond Petroleum, you know, 10, 10 years ago, right, which sure. led to write downs. Do, do we see that the, the new structure maybe allows IOCs or even NOCs to, to emerge more of a leader and, and with, with the capital that they're able to, to bring to it, do we expect them to be leaders in this space or do we expect the leadership from, to come from outside the, the sector? You know, it's it's a great question, and I, I think that's a really fair point to raise, just about the, the track record and, and how some of these investments have panned out historically. You know, I think it's uh, there are a few key differences this time around that that make it a bit more uh, feasible for these these investments to succeed. So if we look at, you know, just the overall pace of what's happened in the industry, we, we've seen some considerable inv- uh, advances as far as some of these technologies and the, the cost structure and some of the, the efficiencies of these technologies. You know, it's, it's a very different market than it was, you know, maybe 10, 20 years ago as far as the progresses that these technologies have made and, and where they fit in the overall uh, energy ecosystem. So I think that overall maturity and the the inve- the advancements that have been made uh, means that um, you know this time around it's a bit more likely that that these uh, investments will succeed. I think the other thing to think about here is that a lot of these investments have been um, you know or I, I guess the the nature of these investments uh, in a lot of cases are different than they were uh, you know 10, 20 years ago. So what we're seeing is that a lot of these um, the investments by these companies actually do involve you know direct investments, direct acquisitions of of uh, existing entities. Where they're bringing in, you know, the 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 corporation itself into the the, the um, oil and gas company to take with it that expertise, the management, uh, all the capabilities that that come with that company, as opposed to trying to to generate those businesses organically and and develop those capabilities internally, where the you know the skill set may not fully align with um, that that traditional uh, skill set that these companies uh, have maintained. So I think that by by virtue of uh, those direct investments, where you're actually getting uh, that whole corporate capability and you're bringing that in-house as opposed to trying to develop it internally, I think that uh, that helps quite a bit as, as far as making this a, a bit more uh, feasible in terms of you know trying to incorporate a, a new business line or a new um, a new uh, technology or, or just a different strategic element uh, into the the oil and gas structure. And are you, I mean, from, from where you said, do you see upstream, is the perception of upstream, you know, in these low carbon ventures, one of a, a partner, what one of a competitor? I mean, where, um, you know, because there's lots of people playing in this, right? That there's, you know, you, you hear about the, the, some of the tech names and then, you know, some of these small startups that, how, how is upstream seen uh, or how do you see upstream, I, I guess? Yeah, so I, I think it, it really just depends. You know, in a lot of cases, there is that possibility for, for partnership. So we're, we're seeing that in a lot of cases where, um, you know, some um, technologies are, br- are being brought in to make uh, upstream operations uh, more efficient, uh, you know, reduce the greenhouse gas intensity of those operations. So there's, there's definitely that, um, that possibility for partnership. You know, I think the big area where the competition comes into play is just in terms of the overall level of capital. You know, these, mm-hmm. these these companies are operating within a constrained capital environment. They're facing, you know, really significant pressure from investors as far as maintaining capital discipline and and really maintaining the line on on overall levels of spending. So as these companies look to, um, you know, develop their capital budgets and figure out how to allocate capital, you know, that's really where the big competition comes into play. You know, how, how do you want to think about your budget as far as the share for upstream versus downstream operations versus versus low carbon? You know, we're starting to see. 
that competition for capital start to become a, a bit more uh, involved where um, as you start to invest in low carbon, that means by default that you're taking away from the upstream business. And I think that's where the biggest challenge for these companies is going to play out in terms of, you know, how, do, how much do they want to, um, you know, how much do they want to uh, put into their core areas of expertise and that, that, that core technical skill set versus, you know, diversifying the business portfolio and, you know, venturing into those new businesses, but also positioning for that, you know, that, that broader energy transition. And we are starting to see that play out with the capital budgets where, you know, these, these low carbon um, business lines are starting to get, you know, increasing levels of capital within the, the overall budget. And, um, you know, I expect that to continue going forward. Well, I could see that maybe as a, you know, on the partner or, or at least the access to capital question for, you know, some of the startup ideas where they, they see, you know, potentially, you know, the, the likes of BPs or Shells or Exxon or whomever as a potential, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are small and, and unprofitable, right? That they've got ideas, you know, again, that it's it's not a low carbon example, but but um, that, that small startup in California that's doing something that, that potentially expands the market for natural gas as a result of fish food. Um, that that these guys looking to access capital should, should hopefully see upstream or, or expect to see upstream as more of a partner and an enabler than a competitor. Sure, definitely, and that's where we're starting to see that you know diversification of where these companies are spending. You know, th that's how that that might come into play as far as some of these startups with these sort of new unique business models that. Um, you know, they may have a new partner there that, you know, five, 10 years ago wouldn't have even looked at the, at this, this space necessarily. And now uh, we're starting to see that, um, you know, that, that diversifying array of, of where these investments are being made. So, you know, in the context, you mentioned that BP transaction in the context of their overall budget, you know, it's, it's, it's really small, 30 million uh, in the context of, you know, 15 to 17 billion of uh, annual corporate capex. But nevertheless, for that startup, I mean, that, that's a, that's a, a big investment for them. And, um, you know, we, we, we expect to see that type of partnership uh, continuing. We'll continue to explore the profitability of low carbon projects with Chris in the next podcast. Watch for part two of our conversation in a few days. In the meantime, I invite you to see more insights from our team of experts on our energy blog at www.ihsmarket.com slash energy blog. Also, if you haven't checked us out on social media, please search for IHS Market Energy on either Twitter or LinkedIn. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll talk to you on our next podcast. This podcast contains information and insights copyrighted by IHS Market. To learn more about IHS Market Energy Solutions, visit ihsmarket.com energy. That's ihsmarkit.com forward slash energy.